0: Hello, wonderful people and welcome back to Sidecar Stories. How's everybody doing this week? It's Thursday. It's Harry Potter Thursday. We've got <laughs> We've got uh, We've got some sweet pirate paper in chat. Thanks, Nate. Uh, don't forget y'all, Pirate Paper is our official stream mascot. So keep that in mind. Acidic Green Man in Discord says, I'm here this week. I had to miss last week because of dumb headphone batteries being dead. That's too bad, sorry about that. I'm glad you're here again. Good evening. For uh, for everyone who's coming over from uh, the YouTube premiere, welcome. Are you ready for some live business here? Ready for some live stuff? Because I certainly am. <laughs> I hope everyone is having a great time. I hope everyone's night is going well. And I hope you are ready to do some Harry Potter reading. Now, um, here's what we've got. Today we are doing uh, chapter 31 of Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. The chapter is called, called OWLs, and as usual, we're going to go through our quick review of uh, of what happened last week in chapter 30. I'm doing well, Rain Man. Tybo, how's it going? Player... 287 etc i'll just call you michelle aka witchy witch how are you doing hi siori it's snowing there cool we don't get snow here i'm living in uh southern california and we don't get snow it's what i miss most about living in the midwest us um and uh it's just we don't really get full spectrums of weather out here we get kind of spring very hot summer back to kind of spring we don't get winter we get a couple of weeks of rain every year um and i enjoy those the most because i miss the rain quite a bit i miss rain i miss thunderstorms so y'all ready to do some review let's talk review do y'all remember what happened last time i want to hear i want to hear as if as if we're playing a, uh some kind of rpg what do you remember from last week Magic Drips says, "I've seen like thirty seconds of snow this year." Long live climate change! Sarcasm. <laughs> um, Obi Tofu, greetings. I'm glad you can make it. Welcome. So glad to have you here. Um, <laughs> Tuna says, "I would say we are what you missed most about the Midwest." That's true, actually. I very much miss my my good buddies. Tuna Sunday and Mukwekwe are uh, my best friends, and they're back in the Midwest, and I do miss them terribly. Luckily, we get a chance to do this sort of thing. Uh, Tuna has taken on the exciting role of basically my stream manager or something like that. I don't know. But it's been a lot of fun. Jade Dragon says, we've had nothing but rain this winter. Okay, folks, what did we learn last time? I'm going to scroll up, but I want to hear, I want, I want at least a little bit. I want, I want to hear some review from y'all. It's about time you took some responsibility. You hear me, you goons? (laughs) What do you remember? What do we remember from last week? Good Lord. I'm I'm scrolling forever. Rachel says giant in the woods. Good. Good. That's a good start. What else we got? (laughs) <laughs> Ron finally did good at Quidditch, says Jade says Jade Dragon. Indeed. You're you're hundred percent correct. Y'all are doing well. Yeah, Ferenz. Uh we learn we learn more about kind of what happened in the woods with Ferenz there. Um we learned about his um his his transition as a uh, into a, a teaching position at Hogwarts, and we find out that it wasn't necessarily as smooth as we might have expected. Magic Trip says, Harry Potter was in that chapter. That proves I remember stuff. Okay, so, uh, y'all have done good. I'm gonna, I'm, I'll go through the, uh, the, the, the top to bottom one, but there's a, uh, <laughs> um, uh, there's a, I, I started doing this, uh, the first time I read this out loud was to my girlfriend. Um, you know her. She's, uh, she is my, she's my bean producer. Um, <laughs> she helps with the beans. She's my lovely assistant. And, um, Uh, when I read it to her, I always ask her, okay, what do you remember? And oftentimes the answer is nothing because I started it as a tradition to, to, uh, like I would, I would read to her as she falls asleep. We were doing long distance for a while. And, uh, as, as she was half asleep, most of the time, her answer was often, I don't know. So I, my first question was always, do you remember Harry Potter? (laughs) And typically the answer was yes. Usually the answer is yes. Um, Luke says, you see this so fast. Yeah, okay, so that's one of the things I'm really excited about. Um, both Discord and Mixer, I can see the chat. It's much lower latency than YouTube live streaming. There's also, y'all should see some of the crazy cool stuff that I am getting up to. Um, you'll see it. Um, you you'll make, you might get a little taste um, uh, this Friday, but... Uh, the please check out the RPG streams. Um we're going to be doing a uh, one more sort of prep episode where we talk about what kind of, you know, instincts will build archetypes for characters and then we're going to do one world building stream, one character building stream and then I am running an RPG where you can join a team and help that team control one of the three characters that I'm going to have in our little RPG campaign. It's going to be a lot like D&D, so if you've ever wanted to play Dungeons and Dragons, come check it out. Okay. So Chapter 30, Grop. We've just come off of Fred and George's, quote, flight to freedom, and uh, it has become already the stuff of legend at Hogwarts. They are, uh, people are telling this story to one another, details are getting changed around, and suddenly, you know, there there are additional elements to the story, like Fred and George hurling dung bombs at Umbridge on their way out the door. Um, they have been inspiring. Uh, and it seems that there are some other students who are willing to take up their mantle as troublemakers because they sort of, they made this grand proclamation as they left. I don't know if y'all remember, but they are fully, they have, they have dropped out of Hogwarts entirely as a result of Umbridge's meddling. Um, and they say that they will offer discounts to anyone willing up to take their mantle and make life for Umbridge as difficult as possible here at Hogwarts. And they've been quite effective. Um, not only that, but business is booming for them. So, you know, uh, one of those interesting examples of of somebody with with something that they've worked hard for, something that they have really worked hard for, and they have they've grown skilled in this, in in these you know charms that they use to create these magical items, these magical uh, you know, uh, essentially joke tools, I guess. I don't know what what would you call them. Um, uh, magical prank artifacts of some sort. Um, but they worked really hard, and you know what? It's time to go pursue that full-time. Um, yeah, Debbie says, Hagrid brought his giant brother back with him. So yeah, we go down, uh, after after we find that uh, that the, the brothers have left, we head down to the Quidditch Pitch. Um, the, the OWLs are approaching. These are the big, this is the, sort of the first big round of standardized tests that they have here at Hogwarts. And um they, they head down they're they're in the middle of studying for that, they head down to the Quidditch pitch for a Quidditch match, in which Ron will be playing as goalkeeper. He is not feeling good about it, and then as the game is starting, Hagrid approaches. Hagrid shows up and uh he wants Ron and Hermione to accompany him. They think they're going off to Hagrid's hut, they follow, and uh apparently they're headed into the woods somewhere. They head into the Forbidden Forest, deeper and deeper, and suddenly they find that they're in front of this weird little hill, at which point Hagrid, who seems to be pretty emotional, communicates to them that he thinks he might be getting sacked soon. He might be on his way out here. Um, Umbridge thinks that he is responsible for the Niffler that keeps ending up in her office, um, and he tearfully asks Harry and Hermione to do him a huge favor. To please take care of that hill over there as we find out that the little hill is not a hill but it is in fact a giant. It is a giant laying on the ground and when the giant sits up we find a 16-foot tall half-brother of Hagrid's named Grop. G-R-A-W-P. This is Hagrid's half-brother. Um, apparently when his giantess mother left his uh, Normal, I guess, human, excuse me, human sized father. Um, She went off and uh, joined up with another giant, and they had a son, and his name is Grop. And Hagrid, through an enormous labor of love, brought Grop back. Now, why would he do this? Hermione asks this a number of times. Well, it is because, apparently, as he is, quote, too little, or I guess I, I don't remember the exact quote, but he's kind of a runt as giants go. He's only 16 feet tall, but he was getting bullied by other uh, other giants, and Hagrid felt that it's his responsibility as his half-brother to take care of him. So he was hoping he could bring him back here to Hogwarts and teach him English and, and try to teach him to fit in with humans. Now we know Hagrid can sometimes make some pretty impulsive decisions on this on this sort of uh topic when it comes to individuals who are perhaps incredibly challenging. Dragons, hippogriffs, three-headed dogs, we find that Hagrid is is very caring and, and very accepting of these individuals and and really believes that they can be integrated cleanly and uh I guess I'll say um not cleanly. Um I guess integrated smoothly into society. This is going to be an enormous challenge for Grop because uh, Grop doesn't speak any English and he is, uh, well, he, he sort of behaves like a, a two year old almost. He doesn't, he doesn't know his own strength, he likes ripping up trees. We don't get the sense that he even understands language as a concept, much less English. So it's going to be a, a, a huge challenge. But Harry and Hermione agree; um, they're very hesitant, but they agree to take care of of Grob just to keep him company every once in a while. Um, yep, Debbie Debbie has reminded me. Don't forget, Eric. Uh, I think she said Eric. Gone, but uh, what is it? Aragog. That's that's what the, that's what the spider's name is. We got Aragog out in the woods. The reason that Hagrid was initially expelled from school. Obi Tofu says, I wonder how Hagrid was able to transport a reluctant giant without the use of magic. And uh, yeah, apparently it wasn't easy. We find that Grop is in fact the reason that Hagrid has shown up so injured over the past few weeks. It might even be months at this point. But it's the reason he keeps getting injuries is because he's hanging out with Grop in the woods. So. Harry and Hermione agree. They leave the site where Grop is, I don't believe I mentioned it before, tied up in the woods. They encounter a number of centaurs, and they learn that Ferenz has apparently been exiled. Uh, And as a matter of fact, the centaurs are not happy with Hagrid, because Hagrid helped Ferenz get out of the Forbidden Forest before the rest of the centaurs beat him to a pulp. Apparently, it's considered a uh, a a great act of, of traitorhood, I guess, um, to coerce with humans or or the enemy. I think they they refer to him as. Let's see, um, how do they refer to him? Uh, there's a gray centaur, and uh, his name is Megorian. Um, Ferenz has entered into servitude to humans. He says. And this is apparently a great shame among centaurs, peddling their knowledge and secrets among humans. There can be no return from such disgrace. So we find out why Ferenz uh, can't get back into the forest. And with that, they they arrive back at the Quidditch match to find that, wait a second, I hear, I hear them singing Weasley is our king, that sarcastic Slytherin song, but they've changed the lyrics. Well, I'll be. I sound like like such a weirdo trying to keep it G-rated on these streams, or I guess PG. Um, I try to keep it at whatever level the book is at, but yeah, well, I'll be. Golly dang, shucks. Um, Not only did Gryffindor win, but Ron was instrumental to that win. He did great. He finally got his legs underneath him with Quidditch. But they did miss the whole thing. We'll be looking more into that in just a second, but I think... With that, we have arrived at the end of our review. I want to remind you that as we proceed through the chapter today, if you've got anything you want to discuss, I want to discuss it too, put it in chat. I am watching live on Mixer. (laughs) Nate, how dare you? Um, I'm watching uh, the chat on Mixer and on Discord. Um, If you're watching this on YouTube, you are watching the YouTube premiere. This is technically last week's chapter I realize this is a little confusing for those watching live, but um, but uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, this is the premiere, this is last week's chapter. But what that means is you can listen to this one and then immediately afterwards, go over to Mixer or go over to Discord and listen live. But for you with me right now on Discord and Mixer, don't forget, I wanna to talk to you in chat, but I think it's time we get reading. Okay. Let's do it. Let's do it, it's time. Here we go! Chapter 31 OWLs Ron's euphoria at helping Gryffindor scrape the Quidditch cup was such that he couldn't settle into anything the next day. All he wanted to do was talk over the match, so Harry and Hermione found it very difficult to find an opening in which to mention Grop. Not that either, either of them tried very hard, neither was keen to be the one to bring Ron back to reality in quite such a brutal fashion. As it was another fine, warm day, they persuaded him to join them in revising under the beech tree, at the edge of the lake, where they had less chance of being overheard than in the common room. Ron was not particularly keen on this idea at first. He was thoroughly enjoying being patted on the back by every Gryffindor to walk past his chair, not to mention the occasional outbursts of Weasley is our king but after a while, he agreed that some fresh air might do him some good. They spread their books out in the shade of the beech tree and sat down, while Ron talked to them through the first save of the match for what felt like the dozenth time. Well, I mean, I'd already let in that one of Davy, so I wasn't feeling all that confident, but I don't know, when Bradley came told me, just out of nowhere, I thought, you can do this. And I had about a second to decide which way to fly, you know, because he looked like he was aiming for the right goal hoop, my right, obviously, his left, but I had a funny feeling that he was—he might have been fainting, so I took a chance and flew left, his right, I mean, and, well, you saw what's happened, he concluded modestly, sweeping his hair back quite unnecessarily so that it looked, interestingly, windswept, and glanced around to see whether the piece- people nearest him, a bunch of gossiping third-year Hufflepuffs, had heard him. And then, when the chambers came at me about five minutes later... What? What? Ron asked, having stopped mid-sentence at the look on Harry's face. "Why, Why are you grinning? I'm not, said Harry quickly, and looked down at his transfiguration notes, attempting to straighten his face. The truth was that Ron had just reminded Harry forcibly of another Gryffindor Quidditch player who had once sat rumpling his hair under this very tree. I'm just glad that we won, that's all. Yeah, said Ron slowly, savouring the words. We won. And did you see the look on Chang's face when Ginny got the snitch right out from under her nose? I suppose she cried, did she? said Harry bitterly. Yeah, well, more out of a temper than anything, though. Ron frowned slightly. But... You saw her chuck that broom away when she got back to the ground, didn't you?' "'Um,' said Harry. "'Well, actually, no, Ron,' said Hermione with a heavy sigh, putting down her book and looking at him apologetically. "'As a matter of fact, the only bit of the match that Harry and I saw was Davy's first goal.' Ron's carefully ruffled hair seemed to wilt with disappointment. You didn't watch, he said faintly, looking from one to the other. You didn't see me make any of those saves? Well, no, said Hermione, stretching out a placatory hand toward him, but, Ron, we didn't want to leave. We had to. Yeah, said Ron, whose face was growing rather red. I'll come. "'It was Hagrid,' said Harry. "'He decided to tell us why he's been covered in injuries ever since he got back from the Giants. "'He wanted us to go into the forest with him. "'We had no choice. You know how he gets. "'Anyway,' the story was told in five minutes, "'by the end of which Ron's indignation had been replaced by a look of total incredulity. "'He brought one back, and he hid it in the forest?' "'Yep,' said Harry grimly. "'No,' said Ron, as though by saying this he could make it untrue. "'No, he, he can't have.' "'Well, he has,' said Hermione firmly. grows about sixteen feet tall, enjoys ripping up twenty-foot pine trees, and knows me—' "'She snorted. "'As Hermie.' "'Ron gave a nervous laugh. "'And Agrid wants us to—' "'Teach him English, yeah.' said Harry. He's lost his mind, said Ron in an almost awed voice. Yes, said Hermione irritably, turning a page of intermediate transfiguration and glaring at a series of diagrams showing an owl turning into a pair of opera glasses. Yes, I'm starting to think he has, but unfortunately he made Harry and me promise. <laughs> well you going to have to break your promise, that's all, said Ron firmly. I mean Come on, we've got exams that were about that far. He held up his hand to show thumb and forefinger almost touching, from being chucked out of, as it is. And anyway, remember Norbert? Do you remember Aragog? Have we ever come off better for mixing up with any of Agrid's monster mates? I know. It's just that we promised, said Hermione in a small voice. Ron smoothed his hair flat again, looking preoccupied. "'Well?' he sighed. grid hasn't been sacked yet, has he? He's hung on this long, maybe he'll hang on till the end of the term and we won't have to go near Grop it's all.' The castle grounds were gleaming in the sunlight as though freshly painted. The cloudless sky smiled at itself in the smoothly sparkling lake, The satin green lawns rippling occasionally in the gentle breeze. June had arrived, but to the fifth years this meant only one thing. Their OWLs were upon them at last. Their teachers were no longer settling them with homework. Lessons were devoted to revising those topics that the teachers thought most likely to come up in exams. The purposeful feverish atmosphere drove nearly everything but the OWL from Harry's mind though he did wonder occasionally during potions lessons whether Lupin had ever told Snape he must continue giving Harry occlumency tuition. If he had, then Snape had ignored Lupin as thoroughly as he was now ignoring Harry. This suited Harry very well. He was quite busy and tense enough without extra classes with Snape. And to his relief, Hermione was much too preoccupied these days to badger him about occlumency. She was spending a lot of time muttering to herself and had not laid out in elf clothing Oh, had not laid out any elf clothes for days. She was not the only person acting oddly, as the OWLs drew steadily nearer. Ernie MacMillan had developed an irritating habit of interrogating people about their study habits. "'How many hours do you think you're doing a day?' he demanded of Harry and Ron as they queued outside Herbology, a manic gleam in his eyes. "'I don't know,' said Ron. "'A few?' More or less than eight. Less, I suppose, said Ron, looking slightly alarmed. I'm doing eight, said Ernie, puffing out his chest. Eight or nine? I'm getting an hour in before breakfast every day. Eight is my average. I can do ten on a good weekend day. I did nine and a half last Monday. Not so good on Tuesday, only seven and a quarter. And then on Wednesday. Harry was deeply thankful that Professor I goofed that one. I knew where that was headed. Harry was deeply thankful that Professor Sprout ushered them into the greenhouse at last. Faunting Faunting What is my mouth doing? Forcing Ernie to abandon his recital. Meanwhile, Draco Malfoy had found a different way to induce panic. "'Of course, it's not what you know,' he was heard to tell Crabbe and Goyle loudly outside potions a few days before the exams were to start. "'It's who you know. Now, Father's been friendly with the head of the Wizarding Examination Authority for years. Old Griselda Marchbanks, we've had her round for dinner and everything.' "'Do you think that's true?' Hermione whispered in alarm to Harry and Ron. "'Nothing we can do about it, if it is.' Said Ron gloomily. I don't think it's true," said Neville quietly from behind them, because Griselda Botchbanks is a friend of my Gran's, and she's never mentioned the Malfoys. What's she like, Neville? Asked Hermione at once. Is she strict? A bit like Gran, really," said Neville in a subdued voice. I mean, knowing her won't hurt your chances, though, will it? Ron told him encouragingly. "'Oh, I don't think he'll make every difference,' said Neville, still more miserably. "'Grad's always telling Professor Marchbags I'm not as good as my dad.' "'Oh, you thought she'd like at St. Muggo's Neville looked fixedly at the floor. Harry, Ron, and Hermione glanced at each other, but didn't know what to say. It was the first time Neville had acknowledged that they had met at the Wizarding Hospital. Meanwhile, a flourishing black market trade in aids to concentration, mental agility, and wakefulness had sprung up amongst the fifth and seventh years. Harry and Ron were much tempted by the bottle of Baruffio's Brain Elixir, offered to them by Ravenclaw sixth-year Eddie Carmichael, who swore that it was solely responsible for the nine outstanding OWLs he had achieved the previous summer, and was offering a whole pint for a mere twelve galleons. Ron assured Harry he would reimburse him for his half the moment he left Hogwarts and got a job, but before they could close the deal, Hermione had confiscated the bottle from Carmichael and poured the contents down a toilet. "'Hermione! We wanted to buy that!' shouted Ron. "'Don't be stupid!' she snarled. "'Might as well take Harold Dingle's powdered dragon claw and done with it!' "'Dingle's got powdered dragon claw?' said Ron eagerly. That got very anime for a second, didn't it? (laughs) "'Not anymore,' said Hermione. "'I confiscated that too. None of these things actually work, you know.' "'Dragon Claw does work,' said Ron. "'It's supposed to be incredible. Really gives your brain a boost. You come over all cunning for a few hours. Hermione, let me have a pinch. Go on, it can't hurt.' "'This stuff can,' said Hermione grimly. "'I've had a look at it. It's actually dried doxy-droppings.' This information took the edge off of Harry and Ron's desire for brain stimulants. They received their examination timetables and details of the procedure for OWLs during their next Transfiguration lesson. As you can see, Professor McGonagall told the class as they copied down the dates and times of their exams from the blackboard. Your OWLs are spread over two successive weeks. You will sit the theory exams in the mornings and take the practical in the afternoons. Your practical astronomy examination will, of course, take place at night. Now, I must warn you that the most stringent and cheating charms have been applied to your examination papers. Auto-unsequels will be banned from the examination hall, as are rememberalls, detachable cribbing cuffs, and self-correcting ink. Every year, I'm afraid to say, seems to harbor at least one student who thinks that he or she can get around the Wizarding Examination Authority rules. I can only hope that there is nobody in Gryffindor. Our new headmistress, <laughs> Professor McGonagall pronounced the word with the same look on her face that Aunt Petunia had whenever she was contemplating a particularly stubborn bit of dirt, I asked the heads of house to tell their students that cheating will be punished most severely. Because, of course, your examination results will reflect upon the headmistress's new regime at the school. Professor McGonagall gave a tiny sigh. Harry saw the nostrils of her sharp nose flare. However, there is no reason not to do your very best. You have your own futures to think about. Please, Professor, said Hermione, her hand in the air, when will we find out our results? "'And owl will be sent to you sometime in July,' said Professor McGonagall. "'Excellent,' said Dean Thomas in an audible whisper. "'So we don't have to worry about it till the holidays.'" Harry imagined, sitting in his room in Privet Drive in six weeks' time, waiting for his OWL results. Well, he thought dully, at least he would be sure of one bit of post next summer. It's a chatter break. <laughs> here we go. All right. Here's my question. Here's my chatter break question. Um, what uh, What is your best exam here? What What uh, What subject is your best exam going to be in your OWLs here? Um, I feel pretty confident that mine is probably... Uh, I liked history when I was younger, but... <laughs> Defense Against the Dark Arts says Debbie. Uh sandwich I think says tuna s- Sunday I think you just put a shepherd's pie is that what that is I think you just put a shepherd's pie in mixer chat <laughs> foods Obitofu says ooh Michaela sent an apple pie McQuickway Mik- uh, says lunch tuna Sunday says foods obitofu says care of magical creatures for sure um Janks Jinx, Jinx says Transfiguration. Witchy Witch says potions. Okay, got a lot of diverse answers here. I love it. Magic Trip also says potions or herbology. Um, Debbie says Defense Against the Dark Arts or Herbology. Got some for potions. I would like to think that my my history would be decent, but I I always reacted much better to really good teachers, and I don't know that I would necessarily consider Professor Binns to be a great teacher. Sorry, I'm sorry, Professor Binns. I'm sorry, you old you old Spectre you. <laughs> um uh, pretty dry, I think. I I I know I know I would not have been much good at Quidditch. As much as I would have loved the idea of flying, I don't think I would have been much good at Quidditch. Um I don't know. I don't know where I would have landed there. Um I think I think potions. Um having it be a relatively exact pursuit, I think I would have done okay in potions. And um I I tended to react better to strict teachers who knew their stuff than sort of amiable teachers who were perhaps a little less knowledgeable. I had a few that ran the gamut, but um, I think I would have, you know, assuming I wasn't in a Harry Potter-like position in which me and the teacher had some personal beef, um, I think potions probably would have been the top of my list. It's probably what I would have been... The best at, or probably at least the best exam i would have been able to manage because it's exact um but we didn't have a lot of practicals you know like uh there were there were some sort of practical kind of lab test uh lab um uh protocols kind of thing in some of the history history in some of the um science classes by the way can you imagine how crazy it would be to have a practical exam in history class you have to like start a cult or something (laughs) Debbie says, I'm no good at math, so no potions for me. Magic Trip says, Professor Binns is exactly the reason I did not say history. I would fall asleep in that class. And Sundog says, by the way, Sundog, that's a new name I don't think I've seen around here before. Welcome. Uh, my friends and I had a debate of who would be a better wizard, but we ended up discussing what metrics make a good wizard. I think that is a great point. We were talking about that a little bit prior to the stream, Um, how Umbridge, you know, she is kind of an average witch as, you know, magical skill goes, but she has some pretty serious like administrative skills and some pretty serious schmooze skills. So um, we were talking about just how there there are sort of effective witches and wizards, but it's not always determined by how effective they are in magical pursuits. It doesn't always depend on their magical skills. Sometimes their other skills augment their magical skills so much that they're successful in spite of being kind of an average or below average uh, um, witch or wizard. We're kind of seeing that with Harry, you know? He, he I would say, excels in defense against the dark arts, but otherwise he's a pretty average student. That's kind of the impression that I'm getting so far. McQuickly says, I would love to see the I do, we do, you do of the practical exam in history. I'm not sure exactly what that means. I'm sure that, uh, I'm sure the teachers among you know this better. All right, let's get back into it. Their first examination, Theory of Charms, was scheduled for Monday morning. Harry agreed to test Hermione after lunch on Sunday, but regretted it almost at once. She was very agitated, and kept snatching the book back from him to check that she had gotten the answer completely right, after hitting him hard on the nose with the edge of an achievement in charming. Mm. Sorry. Finally hitting him hard on the nose with the sharp edge of achievements in Charming. Why don't you just do it yourself? He said firmly, handing the book back to her, his eyes watering. Meanwhile, Ron was reading two years' worth of Charms notes with his fingers in his ears, his lips moving soundlessly. She, Miss Finnegan, was lying flat on his back on the floor, reciting the definition of a substantive charm while Dean checked it in the standard book of spells, grade five. And Parvati and Lavender, who were practicing basic locomotion charms, were making their pencil cases race each other around the edge of the table. Dinner was a subdued affair that night. Harry and Ron did not talk much, but ate with gusto, having studied hard all day. Hermione, on the other hand, kept putting down her knife and fork and diving under the bed, under the bed, diving under the table for her bag, from which she would seize a book and check some fact or figure. Ron was just telling her she ought to eat a decent meal or she would not be able to sleep that night, when her fork slid from between her limp fingers and landed on the loud plate with a tinkle. "'Oh my goodness,' she said faintly, staring into the entrance hall. "'Is that them? Is that the examiners?' Harry and Ron whipped around on their bench. Through the doors of the great hall, they could see Umbridge standing with a small group of ancient-looking witches and wizards. Umbridge, Harry was pleased to see, looked rather nervous. "'Should we go and have a closer look?' said Ron. Harry and Hermione nodded, and they hastened toward the double doors into the entrance hall, slowing down as they stepped over the threshold to walk sedately past the examiners. Harry thought Professor Marchbanks must be the tiny, stooped witch with a face so lined it looked as though they'd been draped in cobwebs. Umbridge was speaking to her deferentially. Professor Marchbanks seemed to be a little deaf. She was answering Professor Umbridge very loudly, considering they were only a foot apart. The journey was fine, journey was fine. We've made it plenty of times before, she said impatiently. Now, I haven't heard from... "'Dumbledore, lately?' she added, peering around the hall as though hopefully he might suddenly emerge from a broom cupboard. "'No idea where he is, I suppose?' "'None at all,' said Umbridge, shooting a malevolent look at Harry, Ron, and Hermione, who were now dawdling at the foot of the stairs as Ron pretended to do up his shoelace. "'But I dare say the Ministry of Magic will track him down soon enough!' "'I doubt it,' shouted tiny Professor Marchbanks. If Dumbledore doesn't want to be found—I should know—examined him personally in Transfiguration and Charms when he did an E.W.T.'s—did things with a wand that I've never seen before." "'Yes. Well,' said Professor Umbridge, as Harry, Ron, and Hermione dragged their feet up the marble staircase as slowly as they dared,—'let me show you to the staff-room. I dare say you'd like a cup of tea after your journey.' It was an uncomfortable sort of evening. Everyone was trying to do some last-minute revising, but nobody seemed to be getting very far. Harry went to bed early, but then lay awake for what felt like hours. He remembered his career's consultation with McGonagall's furious declaration that she would help him become an Auror if it was the last thing she did. He wished he had expressed a more achievable ambition now that exam time was here. He knew he was not the only one lying awake, but none of the others in the dormitory spoke. And finally, one by one, they fell asleep. All right. They're coming at us kind of rapid fire. So quick question. I'm just going to throw it into chat and I'm going to keep going. Uh, Which exam in this are you most dreading? (laughs) I'm sure we covered a little bit of it. But uh, yeah, which one are you dreading the most in this? Honestly, it's unfortunate, but mine would probably end up being history. None of the fifth years talked very much at breakfast the next day. Parvati was practising incantations under her breath with the salt cellar in front of her twitching. Hermione was reading achievements in charms so fast that her eyes appeared blurred, and Neville kept dropping his knife and fork, knocking over the marmalade. Once breakfast was over. The fifth and seventh years milled around in the entrance hall while the other students went off to lessons. Then, at half-past nine. They were called forward class by class, to re-enter the great hall, which had been rearranged exactly as Harry had seen it in the pensive, when his father, Sirius, and Snape had been taking their OWLs. The four house tables had been removed, and replaced instead with many tables for one, all facing the staff table at the head of the hall where Professor McGonagall stood facing them. When they were all seated and quiet, she said, "'You may begin.' and turned over an enormous hourglass on the desk beside her, on which there were also spare quills, ink bottles, and rolls of parchment. Harry turned over his paper, his heart thumping hard. Three rows to his right, and four seats ahead, Hermione was already scribbling, and lowering his eyes to the first question. Give the incantation, and describe the wand movement required to make objects fly. Harry had a fleeting memory of a club soaring high into the air and landing loudly on the thick skull of a troll. Smiling slightly, he bent over the paper and began to write. Well, it wasn't too bad, was it? asked Hermione anxiously as the entrance hall two hours later. Mm. Asked Hermione anxiously in the entrance hall two hours later, still clutching the exam paper. I'm not sure I did myself justice on cheering charms. I just ran out of time. Did you put on the counter-charm for hiccups? I wasn't sure whether I ought to—it felt like too much. On question twenty-three, Hermione, said Ron sternly, we've been through this before. We're not going through every exam afterwards. It's bad enough having to do them once. The fifth-years ate lunch with the rest of the school. The four house tables had reappeared for the lunch hour, and then they trooped off into the small chamber beside the great hall, where they were to wait until called for their practical examination. As small groups of students were called forward in alphabetical order, those left behind muttered incantations and practiced wand movements, occasionally poking each other in the back or the eye by mistake. Okay. Here is actually a question for you, everybody. I need I need a terrible impression to do. Once again, I can do I can do voices okay. I am terrible at impressions, but I need a bad impression to do for Professor Tofty. He's a very old man with a quavering voice. It says. So as I read forward, pop me to chat. You gotta be rapid fire on this one. I'll see if I can pick out one that I can do any kind of justice to. Hermione's name was called. Trembling, she left the chamber with Anthony Goldstein, Gregory Goyle, and Daphne Greengrass. Students who had already tested did not return afterward, so Harry and Ron had no idea how Hermione had done. "'She'll be fine. You remember when she got 112% on one of our charms tests?' said Ron. Ten minutes later, Professor Flitwick called. "'Parkinson. Pansy. Patil. Padma.' Patil? Bavadi, Potter? Harry? Good luck," said Ron quietly. Harry walked into the great hall, clutching his wand so tightly his hand shook. "'Professor Tofty is free, Potter,' squeaked Professor Flitwick, who was standing just beside the door. He pointed Harry toward what looked like the very oldest and baldest examiner, who was sitting behind a small table in a far corner short distance from Professor Marchbanks who was halfway through testing Draco Malfoy all right I like Jujubee I think wins this one Jujubee wins with Christopher Walken Um, Sean Connery is a great one Obitofu but I've actually got a different character who's not gonna show up for a little while who I think uh, I've I've already I've already assigned Sean Connery to one (laughs) are you ready for a terrible Christopher Walken impression oh boy it's gonna be so bad here we go Potter, is it?' said Professor Tofty, consulting his notes and peering over his pince-nez at Harry as he approached. "'The famous Potter?' Out of the corner of his eye, Harry distinctly saw Malfoy throw a scathing look over at him. The wine-glass Malfoy had been levitating fell to the floor and smashed. Harry could not suppress a grin. Professor Tofty smiled back at him encouragingly. "Uh, "'That's it,' he said in his quavery old voice. "'No no need to be nervous. Now, if I could ask you to take this egg cup, "'and make it do some cartwheels for me.'" <laughs> <laughs> On the whole, Harry thought it went rather well. His levitation charm was certainly much better than Malfoy's had been, though he wished he had not mixed up the incantations for color change and growth charms, so that the rat he was supposed to be turning orange swelled shockingly, And was the size of a badger before Harry could rectify his mistake. He was glad Hermione had not been in the hall at the time and neglected to mention it to her afterwards. He could tell Ron, though. Ron had caused a dinner plate to mutate into a large mushroom and had no idea how it had happened. (laughs) Magic Trip, how dare you. Magic Trip says, wait, is he Italian now? (laughs) And uh, we've got some very generous people in Mixer saying, oh my God, so good, bravo. (laughs) Michelle is being very diplomatic and saying, it's not horrible. Michelle, you're reminding me very, very much of uh, Hermione right now. It's not horrible, Ron. (laughs) Your Christopher Walken isn't awful. There was no time to relax that night. They went straight to the common room after dinner and submerged themselves in revision for transfiguration the next day. Harry went to bed with his head buzzing with complex spell models and theories. He forgot the definition of a switching spell during his written paper the next morning, but thought his practical could have been a lot worse. At least he managed to vanish his entire iguana, whereas poor Hannah Abbott lost her head completely at the next table and somehow managed to multiply her ferret into a flock of flamingos causing the examination to be halted for 10 minutes while the birds were captured and carried out of the hall all right a formal chatter break now um let's see i want to do a quick one though <laughs> um boy what is uh i i can only imagine what kind of absolute mayhem could be caused by your like a a below average student i guess we'll call them here Think about it during the exams. We've got a bunch of students who are all at once trying to perform magic at a relatively high level. You know, it's... it's... <laughs> the Gross Simmer in Mixer has called this character Christopher Adjacent. <laughs> Christopher Walking Toward Walk-In. Christopher Trudgeon. (laughs) Oh, boy. All right, I don't have a question right now. We're just going to keep going. They had the herbology exam on Wednesday. Other than a small bite from a fanged geranium, Harry felt he had done reasonably well. And then on Thursday, defense against the dark arts. Here, for the first time, Harry felt sure he had passed, he had no problem with any of the written questions and took particular pleasure, during the practical examination, in performing all of the counter jinxes and defensive spells right in front of Umbridge, who was watching coolly from the near doors into the entrance hall. <laughs> Christopher Stoppin <laughs> Well done, Obitofu. Well done again. Oh boy. Obitofu, you're starting to remind me of uh of my boy Coop. I don't think Coop Miller's in here today. Let's see. Oh, bravo, cried Professor Tofty, who was examining Harry again when Harry demonstrated a perfect Bogart banishing spell. Very good, indeed. Well, I think that's all, Potter. Uh, unless... He leaned forward a little. I heard from my dear friend Tiberius Ogden that you can produce a Patronus for a bonus point." Harry raised his wand, looked directly at Umbridge, and imagined her being sacked. Expecto Patronum! His silver stag erupted from the end of his wand and cantered the length of the hall. All of the examiners looked around to watch its progress. When it dissolved into silver mist, Professor Tofty clapped his veined and knotted hands enthusiastically. "'Excellent!' he said. Oh, "'Very well, Potter, you may go!' As Harry passed Umbridge beside the door, their eyes met. There was a nasty smile playing around her wide, slack mouth, but he did not care. Unless he was very much mistaken and he was not planning on telling anybody, in case he was, he had just achieved an outstanding OWL. On Friday, Harry and Ron had a day off, while Hermione sat her Ancient Runes exam, and as they had the whole weekend in front of them, they permitted themselves a break from revision. They stretched and yawned beside the open window, through which warm summer air was wafting as they played wizard chess. Harry could see Hagrid in the distance, teaching a class on the edge of the forest. He was trying to guess what creatures they were examining. He thought it must be unicorns, because the boys seemed to be standing back a little, when the portrait hole opened and Hermione clambered in, looking thoroughly distempered. "'How were the runes?' said Ron, yawning and stretching. "'I mistranslated iwas,' said Hermione, furiously. "'It means partnership, not defense. I mixed it up with iwas.' Oh, well,' said Ron lazily. It's only one mistake, isn't it? You still get— Oh, shut up! said Hermione angrily. It could be the one mistake that makes the difference between a pass and a fail, and what's more, someone's put another niffler in Umbridge's office. I don't know how they got in through that new door, but I just walked past there, and Umbridge is shrieking her head off. By the sound of it, it tried to take a chunk out of her leg. Good, said Harry and Ron together. It is not good, said Hermione hotly. She thinks it's Hagrid doing it, remember? and we do not want Hagrid chucked out.' "'He's teaching at the moment. She can't blame him,' said Harry, gesturing out of the window. "'Oh, you're so naive sometimes, Harry. You really think Umbridge will wait for proof?' said Hermione, who seemed to be determined to be in a towering temper, and she swept off toward the girls' dormitories, banging the door behind her. "'Such a lovely, sweet-tempered girl,' said Ron. Very quietly, prodding his queen forward to beat up one of Harry's knights. Hermione's bad mood persisted for most of the reek, the weekend. <laughs> this weekend in the stink pit, W W S. <laughs> w W-w-s. W stank. I don't know where I'm heading with this. Hermione's bad mood persisted for most of the weekend. Though Harry and Ron found it quite easy to ignore, as they spent most of Saturday and Sunday revising for potions on Monday, the exam which Harry had been looking forward to the least, and which he was sure would be the downfall of his ambitions to become an Auror. Sure enough, he found the written paper difficult. Though he thought he might get full marks on the questions about Polyjuice Potion, he could describe its effects accurately, having taken it illegally in his second year. The afternoon practical was not as dreadful as he had expected it to be. With Snape absent from the proceedings, he found he was much more relaxed than he usually was while making potions. Neville, who was sitting very near Harry, also looked happier than Harry had ever seen him during a potions class. When Professor Marchbank said, Step away from your cauldrons, please. The examination is over. Harry corked his sample flask, feeling that he might not have achieved a good grade, but he had, with luck, avoided a fail. "'Only four exams left,' said Fadi Patil, wearily, as they headed back to the Gryffindor common room. "'Only!' said Hermione, snappishly. "'I've got out of fancy and it's probably the toughest subject that there is!' Nobody was foolish enough to snap back, so she was unable to vent her spleen on any of them and was reduced to telling off some first-years for giggling too loudly in the common room. Harry was determined to perform well in Tuesday's Care of Magical Creatures exam, so as not to let Hagrid down. The practical examination took place in the afternoon on the lawn at the edge of the Forbidden Forest, where students were required to correctly identify the gnarl hidden amongst a dozen hedgehogs. The trick was to offer them all milk in turn. Gnarls, highly suspicious creatures whose quills had many magical properties, generally went berserk at what they saw as an attempt to poison them then demonstrate correct handling of a bow truckle feed and clean out a fire crab without sustaining serious burns and choose from wide selection of food the diet that they would give to a sick unicorn i'm just going to pause really quick of my own accord here what on earth would it mean to feed and clean out a fire crab clean a fire crab sure What does it mean to clean out a fire crab? Excuse me. Harry could see Hagrid watching anxiously out of his cabin window. When Harry's examiner, a plump little witch this time, smiled at him and told him that he could leave, Harry gave Hagrid a fleeting thumbs up before heading back to the castle. The astronomy theory paper on Wednesday morning went well enough. Harry was not convinced he got the names of all of Jupiter's moons right, but it was at least confident that none of them was inhabited by mice. They had to wait until evening for their practical astronomy. The afternoon was devoted instead to divination. Jinx says, maybe soot and ash. That's a decent idea. (laughs) And the gross simmer just simply says, get your hand in there. (laughs) Get your hand in there. Even by Harry's low standards in divination, the exam went very badly. He might as well have tried to see moving pictures on the desktop, as in the stubbornly blank crystal ball. He lost his head completely during leaf reading, saying it looked to him as though Professor Marchbanks would shortly be meeting a round, dark, soggy stranger. He rounded off the whole fiasco by mixing up the life and headlines on her palm and informing her she ought to have died the previous Tuesday. Well, we were always going to fail that one," said Ron gloomily as they attended the attended, as they ascended the marble staircase. He had just made Harry feel rather better by telling him how he had told the examiner in detail about the ugly man with a wart on his nose and the crystal ball, only to look up and realize he had been describing his examiner's reflection. We shouldn't have taken that stupid subject in the first place," said Harry. "Yeah, at least we can give it up now." Yeah said Harry. No more pretending we care about what happens when Jupiter and Uranus get too friendly. And from now on, I don't care if my tea leaves spell out Ron die. I'm just chucking them in the bin where they belong. Harry laughed just as Hermione came running up behind them. He stopped laughing at once, just in case it would annoy her. Well, I think I've done all right in arithmetic, she said, and Harry and Ron both sighed in relief. Just time for a quick look over our star-charts before dinner, and then— When they reached the top of the astronomy tower at eleven o'clock, they found a perfect night for stargazing, cloudless and still. The grounds were bathed in silvery moonlight, and there was a slight chill in the air. Each of them set up his or her telescope, and, when Professor Marchbanks gave the word, proceeded to fill in the blank star-chart they had been given. Professors Marchbanks and Tofty strolled among them, watching as they entered the precise position of the stars and planets that they were observing. All was quiet, except for the rustle of parchment, the occasional creak of a telescope as it was adjusted on its stand, and the scribbling of many quills. Half an hour passed. Then an hour. The little squares of reflected gold light flickering on the ground below started to vanish as lights in the castle windows were extinguished. As Harry completed the constellation Orion on his chart, however, the front doors of the castle opened directly below the parapet where he was standing, so that the light spilled out onto the stone steps a little way across the lawn. Harry glanced down as he made a slight adjustment to the position of his telescope, and saw five or six elongated shadows moving over the brightly lit grass before the doors swung shut and the lawn became a sea of darkness once more. (gasps) Coop's here. How's it going, Coop? By the way, we need some sort of... If you are if you are old enough, we could turn it into a drinking game almost. But every time the words stone steps are written... I think it is J.K. Rowling's very favorite phrase here. The stone steps. Harry put his eye back to his telescope and refocused it, now examining Venus. He looked down at his chart to enter the planet there, but something distracted him. Pausing with his quill suspended over the parchment, he squinted down into the shadowy grounds and saw half a dozen figures walking over the lawn. If they had not been moving, and the moonlight had not been gilding the top of their heads, they would have been indistinguishable from the dark ground on which they walked. Even at this distance Harry had a funny feeling he recognized the walk of the squattest of them, who seemed to be leading the group. He could not think why Umbridge would be taking a stroll outside after midnight, must let much less much less accompanied by five others. When somebody coughed behind him, he was reminded that he was halfway through an exam. He had quite forgotten Venus's position. Jamming his eye to his telescope, he found it again, and was once more about to enter it onto his chart. When, alerted for any odd sound, he heard a distant knock, which echoed over the deserted grounds, followed immediately by the muffled barking of a large dog. That's not a bad muffled dog I just pulled off there. He looked up, his heart hammering. There were lights on Hagrid's windows, and the people he had observed crossing the lawn were now silhouetted against them. The door opened, and he distinctly saw six sharply defined figures watch, walk over the threshold. The door closed again, and there was silence. Harry felt very uneasy. He glanced around to see whether Ron or Hermione had noticed what he had, but Professor marchbanks came walking up behind him at that moment. And, not wanting to look as though he were sneaking looks at anyone else's work, Harry hastily bent over his star chart and pretended to be adding notes to it, while really peering over the top of the parapet toward Hagrid's cabin. Figures were now moving across the cabin windows, temporarily blocking the light. He could feel Professor Marchbanks's eyes on the back of his neck, and pressed his eye again into his telescope. Staring up at the moon, though he had marked its position an hour ago, but as Professor Marchbanks moved on, he heard a roar from the distant cabin that echoed through the darkness right at the top of the tower. Right to the top of the tower. Several of the people around Harry ducked out from behind their telescopes and peered instead in the direction of Hagrid's cabin. Professor Toffy Professor gave another dry little cough. Try and concentrate now, boys and girls, he said softly. Most people returned to their telescopes. Harry looked to his left. Hermione was gazing transfixed at Hagrid's cabin. Ahem. He's twenty minutes left to go, said Professor Trofty. Hermione jumped and returned at once to her star chart. Harry looked down at his own and noticed that he had mislabeled Venus as Mars. He bent to correct it. There was a loud bang from the ground. Several people cried, ouch, when they poked themselves in the face with the ends of their telescopes as they hastened to see what was going on below. Hagrid's door had burst open, and by the light flooding out of the cabin they saw him quite clearly, a massive figure roaring and brandishing his fists, surrounded by six people, all of whom, judging by the tiny threads of red light they were casting in his direction, seemed to be attempting to stun him. "'No!' cried Hermione. "'My dear!' said Professor Tofty in a scandalized voice. This is an examination. But nobody was paying the slightest attention to their star charts anymore. Jets of red light were still flying beside Hagrid's cabin, yet somehow they seemed to be bouncing off him. He was still upright, and still, as far as Harry could see, fighting. Cries and yells echoed across the grounds. A man yelled, Be reasonable, Hagrid. Hagrid roared. Reasonable, be damned. You won't take me like this, Dolish!" Harry could see the tiny outline of Fang, attempting to defend Hagrid, leaping repeatedly at the wizards surrounding him until a stunning spell caught him, and he fell to the ground. Hagrid gave a howl of fury, lifted the the culprit bodily from the ground and threw him. The man flew what looked like ten feet and did not get up again. Hermione gasped. Both hands over her mouth, Harry looked round at Ron and saw that he, too, was looking scared. None of them had ever seen Hagrid in a real temper before. "'Look!' squealed Parvati, who was leaning over the parapet and pointing at the foot of the castle, where the front doors had opened again. More light was spilling out under the dark lawn, and a single long black shadow was now rippling across the lawn. "No, really?' said Professor Tofty anxiously. "'Only sixteen minutes left, you know.' But nobody paid him the slightest attention. They were watching the person now sprinting toward the battle beside Hagrid's cabin. "'How dare you!' the figure shouted as she ran how dare you it's McGonagall whispered Hermione leave him alone alone I say said professor McGonagall's voice in the darkness on what grounds are you attacking him he has done nothing nothing to warrant such Hermione Parvati and Lavender all screamed no fewer than four stunners had shot from the figures around the cabin toward professor McGonagall halfway between the cabin and the castle The red beams collided with her. For a moment she looked luminous, illuminated by an eerie red glow, then was lifted right off her feet, landed hard on her back, and moved no more. "'Galloping gargoyles!' shouted Professor Tofty, who seemed to have forgotten the exam completely. Not so much as a warning, outrageous behavior. "'You cowards!' bellowed Hagrid, his voice carrying clearly to the top of the tower, and several lights flickered back on inside the castle. "'You ruddy cowards! I've some of that and that!' "'Oh my!' gasped Hermione. Hagrid took two massive swipes at his closest attackers, judging by their immediate collapse they had been knocked out cold. Harry saw Hagrid double over, and thought he had finally been overcome by a spell. But on the contrary, next moment Hagrid was standing up again with what appeared to be a sack on his back. Then Harry realized that Fang's limp body was draped around his shoulders. "'Get him! Get him!' screamed Umbridge, but her remaining helper seemed highly reluctant to go within reach of Hagrid's fists. Indeed, he was backing away so fast, he he tripped over one of his unconscious colleagues and fell over. Hagrid had turned and began to run with Fang still hung around his neck. Umbridge sent one last stunning spell after him, but it missed, and Hagrid, running full pelt toward the distant gates, disappeared into the darkness. There was a long minute's quivering silence as everybody gazed open-mouthed into the grounds. Then Professor Tofty's voice said feebly, Um, five minutes to go, everybody. Though he had only filled in two-thirds of his chart, Harry was desperate for the exam to end. When it came at last, he, Ron, and Hermione forced their telescopes haphazardly back into their holders and dashed back down the spiral staircase. None of the students were going to bed. They were all talking loudly and excitedly at the foot of the stairs about what they had just witnessed. That evil woman, gasped Hermione, who seemed to be having difficulty due to rage with her speech trying to sneak up on Hagrid in the dead of night!" She clearly wanted to avoid another scene like Trelawney's, said Ernie Macmillan sagely, squeezing over to join them. "'Hagrid did well, didn't he?' said Ron, who looked more alarmed than impressed. "'How come all those spells bounced off him?' "'It'll be his giant's blood,' said Hermione, shakily. "'It's very hard to stun a giant They're like trolls—really tough. Poor Professor McGonagall, four stunners straight to the chest, and she's not exactly young, is she? Dreadful, dreadful, said Ernie, shaking his head pompously. Well, I'm off to bed. Night, all. People around them were drifting away, still talking excitedly about what they had just seen. At least they didn't get to take Agra off to Azkaban, said Ron. I expect he's gone to join Dumbledore, hasn't he? "'I suppose so,' said Hermione, who looked tearful. "'This is awful. I really thought Dumbledore would be back before long, "'but now we've we've lost Hagrid, too.' "'They traipsed back to the Gryffindor common room to find it full. "'The commotion out on the grounds had woken several people, "'who had hastened to rouse their friends. Seamus and Dean, who had hurried to arrive ahead of Harry, Ron, and Hermione, "'were now telling everyone what they had seen.' And heard from the top of the astronomy tower. But why Sack Hagrid now? said Angelina Johnson, shaking her head. It's not like Chordorney. He's been teaching much better than usual this year. Umbridge hates part humans, said Hermione bitterly, flopping down into an armchair. She was always going to try and get Hagrid out. And she ought she thought that Hagrid's put nifflers in her office, piped up Katie Bell. "'Oh, blimey,' said Lee Jordan, covering his mouth. "'It's me who's been putting the Nifflers in her office. Fred and George left me a couple. I've been levitating them in through her window.' "She'd have sacked him anyway,' said Dean. "'He was too close to Dumbledore.' "'That's true,' said Harry, sinking into an armchair beside Hermione's. "'I just hope that Professor McGonagall's all right,' said Lavender, tearfully. Well, they carried her back up to the castle. We watched it through the dormitory window, said Colin Creevy. She didn't look very good. Madame Pumphrey will sort her out, said Alicia, spin it firmly. She's never failed yet. Now this time we're actually going to take a chatter break. We've just witnessed a... uh an, an attack in the nighttime, an ambush, trying to, trying to get down to Hagrid's hut and get him expelled, not just expelled, right? Because Umbridge did that on her own last time, but think about it. She's got Dalish with her this time. And if y'all don't remember who Dalish is, he's the executioner. He was sent by the Ministry of Magic to, uh, to execute Buckbeak, the hippogriff, a creature, a you know, a, a magical creature. To be fair, he was also sent as kind of an enforcer, I believe when, let's see, there was another instance when they sent Dalish, but I don't remember precisely when it was. It, I don't think it was to collect Hagrid, or excuse me, to collect Dumbledore, but I might be wrong about that. But, but think about the statement that they're making there. Sending the, the creature executioner to collect to help collect Hagrid. Trying to treat people not as people. That is always a sign that there is evil afoot, trying to treat people as something less than human. It was nearly four in the morning before the common room cleared. Harry felt wide awake. The image of Hagrid sprinting away into the dark was haunting him. He was so angry with Umbridge, he couldn't think of a punishment bad enough for her, though Ron's suggestion of having her fed to a box of starving, blast-ended scruts had its merits. He fell asleep, contemplating hideous revenges, and arose from bed three hours later feeling distinctly unrested. Their final exam, History of Magic, was not to take place until that afternoon. Harry would very much like to have gone back to bed after breakfast, but he had been counting on the morning for a spot of last-minute revision, so instead he sat with his head in his hands by the common room windows, trying hard not to doze off as he read through some notes, in the stacked three and a half feet uh oh excuse me trying hard not to doze off as he read through some of the notes stacked three and a half feet high that hermione had lent him good on harry by the way fighting through it sprint to the finish was the one that uh, i was always told sprint through the finish the Fifty Years entered the Great Hall at two o'clock and took their places in front of their face-down examination papers. Harry felt exhausted. He just wanted this to be over, so he could go and sleep, and then tomorrow he and Ron were going to go down to the Quidditch pitch, He was going to have a fly on Ron's broom, and savor their freedom from revision. "'Turn over your papers,' said Professor Marchbanks from the front of the hall, flicking over the giant hourglass. You may begin. Harry stared fixedly at the first question. It was several seconds before it occurred to him that he had not taken in a word of it. There was a wasp buzzing distractingly against one of the high windows. Slowly, torturously, he at last began to write an answer. He was finding it very difficult to remember the names and kept confusing dates, He simply skipped question four, in your opinion, did WAND legislation contribute to or lead to better control of goblin riots in the 18th century, thinking that he would go back to it if he had time at the end. He had a stab at question five, how was the statute of secrecy breached in 1749 and what measures were introduced to prevent a reoccurrence, but he had a nagging suspicion that he had missed several important points. He had a feeling that vampires had come into the story somewhere. He looked ahead for a question he could definitely answer, and his eyes alighted on number 10. Describe the circumstances that led to the formation of the International Confederation of Wizards, and explain why the warlocks of Liechtenstein refused to join. (sighs) I know this, Harry thought. Though his brain felt torpid and slack, he could visualize a heading in Hermione's handwriting. The formation of the International Confederation of Wizards. He had read those notes only this morning. He began to write, looking up now and again to check the large hourglass on the desk beside Professor Marchbank's. He was sitting right behind Parvati Patil, whose long dark hair fell below the back of her chair. Once or twice he found himself staring at the tiny golden lights that glistened in it when she moved her head slightly, and he had to shake his own head to clear it but the first mugwump of the International Confederation of Wizards was Pierre Bonacord, but his appointment was contested by the wizarding community of Liechtenstein because... All around, Harry, quills were scratching on parchment like scurrowing, scurrowing. That's a combination of the two words that are actually here. Quills were scratching on parchment like scurrying, burrowing rats. The sun was very hot on the back of his head. Was it that Bonacord had done something to offend the wizards of Lichtenstein? He had a feeling it had something to do with trolls. He gazed blankly at the back of Parvati's head again. If only he could perform legitimacy and open a window in the back of her head, he could see what it was about trolls that had caused the breach between Pierre Bonacord and Lichtenstein. There he closed his eyes, buried his face in his hands, so that the glowing red of his eyelids drew dark and cool. Bonacord Bonacord had wanted to stop troll hunting and give the trolls rights, but Lichtenstein was having problems with a tribe of particularly vicious mountain trolls. That was it! He opened his eyes. They stung and watered in the sight of the blazing white parchment. Slowly, he wrote two lines about the trolls, then read through what he had done so far. It didn't seem very informative or detailed, yet he was sure Hermione's notes on the Confederation had gone in for pages and pages. He closed his eyes again, trying to see them, trying to remember. The Confederation had met for the first time in France. Yes, he had written that already. Goblins had tried to attend and been ousted. He'd written that too. And nobody from Liechtenstein had wanted to come. Think, he told himself, his face in his hands. While all around him, quills scratched out never-ending answers and the sand trickled through the hourglass at the front. He was walking along the cool, dark corridor to the Department of Mysteries again, walking with a firm and purposeful tread, breaking occasionally into a run, determined to reach his destination at last. The black door swung open for him as usual. And here he was, in the circular room with its many doors. Straight across the stone floor and through the second door, patches of dancing light on the walls and floor that... Ah, it's mechanical ticking, but no time to explore. He must hurry. He jogged on the last few feet to the third door, which swung open just like the others. Once again, he was in a cathedral-sized room full of shelves and glass spheres. His heart was beating very fast now. He was going to get there this time. When he reached number 97, he turned left and hurried along the aisle between two rows, But there was an animal on the floor at the very end. A black shape moving on the floor like a wounded... Excuse me. There was a shape on the floor at the very end. A black shape moving on the floor like a wounded animal. Harry's stomach contracted with fear. With excitement. A voice issued from his own mouth. A high, cold voice empty of any human kindness. Take it for me. Lift it down now. I cannot touch it. But you can. The black shape on the floor shifted a little. Harry saw a long-fingered white hand clutching a wand rise at the end of his own arm. Heard the high, cold voice say, Crucio! The man on the floor let out a scream of pain, attempted to stand up, and fell back, writhing. Harry was laughing, he raised his wand, the curse lifted, and the figure groaned and became motionless. Lord Voldemort is waiting. Very slowly, his arms trembling, the man on the floor raised his shoulders a few inches and lifted his head. His face was bloodstained and gaunt, twisted in pain yet rigid with defiance. "'You'll have to kill me,' whispered Sirius. "'Undoubtedly, I shall, in the end,' said the cold voice. But you will fetch it for me first, Black. You think you've felt pain thus far. Think again. We have hours ahead of us and nobody to hear you scream. but somebody screamed as Voldemort lowered his wand again. Somebody yelled and fell sideways off a hot desk under the cold stone floor. Harry awoke as he hit the ground, still yelling, his scar on fire, as the Great Hall erupted all around him. And that's the end of the chapter if you are listening on youtube right now it means that we are about to go live on mixer and discord what you're watching right now is the youtube premiere this is from last week um come join us you can find the link in the description uh, or i might be in chat right now if you are listening on mixer and discord let's go back to the library shall we um uh-oh Uh oh. This is bad. This is bad that we've just found out. Now, I'm not going to discuss it at length. I think we're going to discover it organically. We're going to find out what happened next week. Jade Dragon says, Oh, MG, I hate cliffhangers. I'm with you. I'm with you, but man, are they effective. You will have to come back next week. And I am very much looking forward to it. Oh, but had to head out. Uh, Amundi says, I have to go as well, it's a little late, but the stream was great and I can't wait to finish it later. Amundi, thank you very much for watching. You're probably headed out at this point, but um, I'm gonna go ahead and say today's stream was maybe one of the best we've had in a while. Some great action scenes. Um, uh, I was I I didn't marble mouth as as bad as I certainly could have, and we got to we got to hear my terrible terrible Christopher Walken impression. Yeah, you're welcome. That probably wasn't an awesome noise hearing water just jump down my gullet like that, Christopher. Christopher, fallen. <laughs> Please help me. I'm I'm falling and I can't get up i'm gonna stop i'm gonna stop you don't deserve this you didn't you didn't do anything bad today you've been a very good chat you didn't do anything to deserve what I, what's happening to you right now oh boy oh miss frizzle's working on some lego business over in the uh the off topic i don't really read the off topic stuff by the way so um if you've got something important definitely put it in the lobby chat uh, on discord um for anyone who's listening on on uh on mixer right now go ahead and check out the discord you can find the description underneath the stream um, this is where I put uh, my, my main announcements but you can also find me as the uh, as it says in chat as streamlobs lab streamlobs stromlobs have popped in there uh, you can find me on Twitter. I, I talk about RPG stuff mostly on there, but I also do, um, you know, channel updates. And then when I get around to Instagram, I'll throw something up there. But Dis- Discord is where I do most of my uh, most of my community stuff, and it is so good to have it. I've really enjoyed it, um, because it gives me a chance to talk to people like Coop Miller saying, Beans are not always good, but we want them anyway. <laughs> Rachel. Rachel is the Rachel's like the bean sentinel. I've got my lovely assistant for the beans. I've got my beans fan girl, um, And then I've got Rachel, the beans sentinel who ensures that beans do in fact make it onto the list. Coop, we've got somebody who's, who I think would share your sense of humor named Obi Tofu over on Mixer. Um, I don't know who they are. I, th- I, I thought it might be you. I was suspicious for a while, but uh, we'll see Sarah. Sarah, Elena, uh, I'm afraid you missed a decent bit of it. You are toward the end of a stream for sure. Uh, we've, we've finished up our chapter for today. As a matter of fact, I'm going to take a quick break, not even a full five minutes. I'm going to be back in, uh, in just a second. Uh, we're going to talk about the chapter for a little while, and then we're going to do beans. We're going to do beans. Just in time for beans. Yeah, for anyone uh, who's jumping into Discord right now, um, you can always find these. uh, They they are on Mixer for two weeks, which means that in the week prior to when I upload them on YouTube, um, you'll be able to find them there, but uh, they will be up on Mixer, so you've got a a two-week window to watch them on Mixer, um, and I really would suggest that you do. Um, I'm going to be Building some more and more interesting things that you can do on Mixer that you can't do anywhere else—not YouTube, not Twitch. I'm super excited, and uh, especially go ahead and check out the RPG channel in the Discord because there's a very cool project that I'm working on. I'm so excited about it. Um, we'll see; it might take a—it might take a while to uh, to put together, but definitely go check that out. And uh, yeah, I'm gonna go take a quick break—think like three minutes. I just have to get some water, and then I will be right back. Okay. I'll see y'all in a second. Bye bye. Oh boy, where do I go? Maybe <laughs> here. And I am back as well on Mixer. So I've got my water. Um, I don't. We're not going to do beans immediately. We are absolutely. Oh, good lord! We're not. We are absolutely going to do beans. But first, I want to talk a little bit about the chapter. It's important to me. Partially for a sort of, there, there's a protection element to this. Um, uh, I want to make sure that we really do fill out the the, the appropriate requirements for doing these read-throughs. Um, otherwise, they're very much in danger of me being able to continue to post them on YouTube or, or possibly even Mixer. Um, I, I want to do him justice, and man, do I have so much fun doing the analysis on Tuesdays for uh, Vintage Sidecar. We're working on Frankenstein right now, and those discussions are some of the most fun that I have on this channel. I'm not joking. Some of them are amazing. Pretty small crew. Um, uh, Witchy Witch, I see you in there. Uh, Tuna, you're you're in there uh, regularly, so I really appreciate it. Um, but uh, let's talk about the chapter for a little bit. Typically, when I go through some of the classic ones, I, I pull the, the main categories off of, um, like, spark notes. So we talk about, you know, protagonists, antagonists. Uh, we talk about um, setting, we talk about themes, we talk about tone and style. Uh, right now, I would love to talk about uh, the antagonists because this came up earlier today. Um, umbridge as an antagonist. We've talked about it a little bit before, but of course, I think we can certainly get into it about Umbridge once again, right? Um, it's funny because this whole series is outlined a little bit like a um like an rpg campaign essentially it's pretty cool there's one overarching uh sort of villain we've got voldemort always lurking in the background always always out there somewhere and then we've got every every book we've got sort of a sub boss right? Like a, um, you know, a, a new antagonist that is closer to Harry, less powerful perhaps than Voldemort, but much closer in proximity. Somebody with a much greater impact on his life. And this book has one of the, I mean, one of the hallmark villains of recent literature, right? Professor Umbridge. Professor Umbridge, I think is a, a fascinatingly written villain. Um, an interesting look at where villains can come from. You know, she is, she's a villain, but she's not like a, she's not a bandit out in the woods. She's not sort of trying to create an evil cult like Voldemort. She's a ministry official, you know, like she, she is a, um, she's someone, she's a professional. She is, uh, you know, adept at her, her position generally. Um, we talked a little bit before about how she's a fairly average wizard, as actual a, a fairly average um, uh, witch, sort of as as magical skill goes. <laughs> but Coop says she's a bureaucrat, the worst kind of villain. I think there's a reason that she she resonates so strongly with people, and that's that a lot of what she does isn't okay. I'm about to say something here. Give me a second to finish the shot, finish the thought. There are a lot of things that she does that aren't evil. Of course she does a lot of evil. I'm not gonna, I'm not, I'm not saying that she doesn't, but there are a lot of things that she does that aren't evil as much as they are simply unfair. If you look at the composite, the composite of all the things that she does, of course, of course the composite equals evil and there are some there are some things that she does that in and of themselves clearly evil but so much of what she does is simply unfair and i think that resonates a lot with people i think i think there is there's an element to her that she is the the villain the villain that is the force of unfairness in life um and i think that's kind of why it resonates so much i think there were plenty of villains in here you know there there's the there's the lockhart right who Although I wouldn't call him necessary, maybe not a villain as much as just a more straightforward antagonist. Maybe a villain. It could, it could certainly be fair to call him a villain. Um, but you know, primarily his his you know interests were elevated. Um, we've got people like um, uh, the the professor at the very beginning, whose name escapes me, and and I'm in that terrible streamer mode where my brain is just like, keep moving, keep moving, don't ever. Don't ever pause to think about something. Don't worry, I th- I figured it out while I was talking. Professor Coral. um, his interests, his motives, his 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 mission, I guess, is pretty esoteric. He has to go find this special thing, um, and so the the actions that he takes are are behind the scenes. They're they're based in magic and trying to overcome magic. What we've got with Umbridge is a very mundane, a representative of a very mundane but very powerful force, which I think makes it much closer to most more people's lives. Nate in the Discord says he's uh, she's ent- uh, entitled and full of pride. Coop says true. She thinks she's all that and a bag of chips. Uh, Magic Trip has <laughs> has uh, appropriately censored them- themselves. Thank you. Um, Jade says she's a fascist. Um, all that in a bag of beans," says McQuaid in the Discord. Um, yeah, she is. She she thinks a lot of herself. Not necessarily like she doesn't think a lot of herself like Lockhart did, right? Lockhart thought that he was. He thought that he was the best. There's something different here with Umbridge, and it's that she thinks that she deserves to be the best. She deserves to be at the top of the pile. Now we know from some of her other actions, not least of which, summoning the animal executioner to come and deal with Hagrid because he's part human, he's only part human, and in, in her eyes that is, that is something to be... I don't know, looked down upon? I don't know how exactly she would word it. But we can clearly see she has a, a lingering and deeply-seated hatred for, for that which is not human. But we see this from her. We see, um, we see you know, a similar thing from the Death Eaters. They, they believe that muggles are something less than wizards, that they have less to offer, that they are less worthy of power, less worthy of influence, less, less worthy of control over their own lives. But she's got these beliefs, and uh, I, think, I think the big thing that makes her such a compelling vi- villain is the, the fact that she's a force, not of insidious magic evil, not of, of mystical plans put into effect, not of inscrutable inscrutable um, aims that are very specific to this series. She is the force of unfairness as a villain, embodied in a little pink pants suit little pink, uh, a little pink suit. I think that's why she resonates so much. Coop says, but she also must be a little insecure. She can't deal with the Weasley's magic or Dumbledore and McGonagall's respect. This is true. There must be something extra here. That's another layer because... Think about the people that she opposes. Right? She, she, she adheres to this sort of idea that, that there is something better about humans, and anything non-human or anything that's part-human, or anything, you know... Uh, I, we, I, I don't know that we've necessarily gotten her a statement from her directly regarding her feeling about wizards versus muggles. But there's something extra here, because the people that she oppresses all fall into the category of that which, ostensibly, she supports, right? The Weasleys, Dumbledore, and McGonagall. I don't remember if Dumbledore and McGonagall are purebloods. And let's not talk about it here just in case it would be spoilery. But the Weasleys certainly are pure-blooded, right? They're pureblooded. They're human. They are... Not only that, but you know, there are ministry officials within that family. Multiple. There's something extra there. <laughs> now, it doesn't help that Fred and George... Perpetually antagonize her, but they are—they are—they're doing what they feel is right while also doing what they want to do. Essentially, there's—I'm—I'm I'm absolutely not going to call the the uh, the Weasley twins just like a selfless pair, <laughs> but uh, they are certainly effective, huh? Thanks for the corgi, way. I want to make sure I've got a. I should have my alert box up in here. Yeah, I do. I'm not sure why it's not showing up. Oh, maybe it's only specific ones. I don't know. Anyway, um, yeah, McQuackway, Fred and George rolling out of Hogwarts. Oh, is that your is that your personification of them? <laughs> You're uh, cool, quirky. Um, yeah. Uh, let's see. I, I got to rewind and chat a little bit. Um, Magic Trip says, "Don't forget ambitious." The way that she sucks up to the minister and how she strives to take over all that she can. Coop says, absolutely, power is everything. I think think that might be the extra flavor here. The extra flavor that uh, is a little hard to place. I think uh, the pursuit of power might be precisely what we're looking at. Clearly it's something that's important to her. She wants to be powerful. She feels like she has the authority to be powerful. She feels like she has some innate... Oh, boy. (laughs) Thank you for that beautiful mermaid corgi. Duna. She feels like she has some sort of authority. She feels like she she deserves to be in this in this position. Mmp says it's weird. She seems to be happy to for, support Fudge rather than to want to overtake him. Yeah, I've actually um, as our final note here, because we're going to do beans right now. Um, as our final note, I have been uh, studying for a for a script that I'm writing. Um, I don't know if I've mentioned it much on this. Uh, I, I do voice acting, but I'm also a screenwriter. I, I write uh, one-hour drama uh, for TV, and I'm writing a script uh, that involves basically the the rise of a large, a significant cult. And one of the things that I've started to identify as I've studied cults is that their, their construction typically results from one individual giving a small amount of power to a small group of people. And when that one individual gives that power to that small group of people, that small group of people suddenly become the most loyal thing in maintaining that structure because they feel that that structure is what gives them their authority. So if they can keep the person that gave the the, the one person in the center of this ring, if they can keep them in power, they feel like they have maintained the overall structure of power that they have created. And uh, it seems like that is how most cults grow up. One person giving, an author- giving some modicum of authority to a small group of people. That small group of people will work harder to maintain that cult than anyone. Okay, I'm gonna go summon my, my lovely assistant. Tuna says, you have much more fun as a follower, but earn more money as the leader. I should probably put that in the quotes, Tuna. Alright, just a moment. It's beans time. It's beans time. By the way, for everyone here, I am looking for... I'm looking for a new backdrop. Oh. That's so bad, that bag noise. Um, I'm looking for a new scene here. I'm looking for a new background. So, if y'all wouldn't mind going and, and looking around the internet, if you can find any sort of library-esque or like a, like a nice... Yeah cool-looking study that I can I can sufficiently paste my face on top of uh, go ahead and send it to me on Twitter or I think the best ways would be Twitter or discord but uh, yeah send me send me a link or send me um, send me stuff and I'll take a look at it all right it's time for beans I'm gonna try and guess what beans I've got going on birdie bots has got it going on Sorry, (laughs) demonetized. I beat you two at that time, Tuna. All right. Um, I think my hat's nearby. Here it is. Shh, shh. Pay no attention to what's behind the invisibility cloak. All right. Here we go. Unfortunately, this a really bad invisibility cloak because anytime it moves or the light hits it, it gets all weird. Shh. No, it's perfect. Shh. It's fine. It's fine. It's so. It's all good. being down i'm ready just bonk me on the nose whenever it's time otherwise i'm just going to keep monologuing i hope y'all are enjoying this um as i said please join me in the future i've got some other streams throughout the week including one that i'm very excited about um i am going to be running an rpg so if you have ever wanted to try D and you've never ah, never tried it come hang out i'm i'm building you mixer can let you do some amazing things Ow. Uh, including setting up some controls, and so I'm setting up controls right now for that. It's a bad one. Mm, it's pretty vommy. I'm. I want to make certain. Mm, yeah, that's yards. I'm. I'm final answer. Yarts. Yarts. I'm sorry, you're incorrect. It's barf. I don't mind an asterisk or two. (laughs) All right. I got to finish out the whole thing. I can wash the taste out of my mouth, but I can't just drain the bean. Oh, this thing is also going to let me put some custom emojis in chat, which is pretty fun. So we can have one for beans, we can have one for stone steps, we can have one for um, for the car alarms that constantly get uh, set off and the, the beeping of trucks outside. I'll let you know when I've got those up and running. <clears throat> Alright, I'm ready. No, I'm not. <laughs> no, I'm ready. So yeah, if you've ever wanted to try Dungeons & Dragons, please join me. Um, we're gonna, You're going to be able to join a team... Uh, there're gonna be three teams, and then newbies who haven't joined a team—you know, like new people jumping into stream—they're gonna be able to help me control the the bad guys, all the mobs around. Thank you. Ah, it makes a great click against my teeth. Oh, oh, that was a solid one. That one fought back. <laughs> hmm, that's a little. That's pretty peppery. Like black pepper. Ooh, that's a spicy one. That's a spicy meatball. Is a spicy meatball bean. I gotta go black pepper on that one. It is. Yes. I was hoping it would throw you off because it was from the typical flavors that you've been having. Nice try. Yarts. No, Yarts was the first one. Look at McQuake giving me two asterisk out of two. Yarts and Barf, they're the same thing. I don't want that asterisk. You remove that asterisk. Or I'll give you time out. I can do that. Nate, banner. Don't banner. Don't do it, Nate. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. You will you definitely go. banner. going to now. <laughs> True. You didn't say that. I said it, but I'm mad now. I did it. I did so good. Coop says, I actually like black pepper bean. And the spicy meatball. Coop, you're weird. out of 2 yeah no i got i did so good i did two out of two i'm gonna pout about it all right let's go i'm ready for number three um additionally go ahead and check out uh frankenstein on tuesdays i'm i I do vintage sidecar and uh i would love to have you in for those discussions they have been a lot of fun we've been learning a lot about classic literature ow i'm so bad i that's Tuesdays. Um, num, num, num. Hmm. This could be one of many. This could be what? One of many. One of many. It tastes like a good one. Not stoked about combining it with black pepper, but I think I've got birthday cake right now. Mm. Wait, wait, nope. There's chocolate hitting me now. What was it? There's a chocolate one, chocolate ice, uh, chocolate pudding. That's the one. Three asterisks out of three. That one, I think I deserve an asterisk because <laughs> I watched your face do some stuff after I said birthday cake. I got birthday cake. Hold on, hold on. I'm just gonna list them and watch <laughs> your face. <laughs> throw me for a loop. I was like, "Whoa, that was definitely not birthday cake." I um, <laughs> it's just that sweet. There's some vanilla in there for sure. Um pretty smooth kind of flavor well the options were canned dog food chocolate pudding root beer or dr pepper so when you Ah. said birthday cake i was like oh (laughs) that ain't it no magic trip have a great night thanks for coming in um all right lovely assistant needs a poker face says coop her poker face is not good (laughs) It I is with, bite my tongue but I cannot hide my face. It is with a couple of things. I can't when even I can't even think of what they would be right, right now. Werewolf, Avalon. Werewolf is good, yeah. I'm a good like, I'm, I'm a good. <laughs> this a good is a PG rated stream. How dare you? Love. For shame. <laughs> all right. What else? This is a good time. This is this is a good way for me to do my my weekly recap. Um <laughs> what are you doing Ooh, mystery uh finally you know about harry potter and check out uh check out disco elysium it's a it's a great uh, little top-down rpg that i've been working on i am doing some crazy stuff with a um with my voice controller i've got a program called voice mod it's a voice changer and allows me to do all sorts of oh, interesting voices so check that out as well How? Ugh. Ooh, exciting! Okay, it's got the pepper, green pepper though, like that that green pepper thing that they try to they try to call grass. I'm trying not to look at chat. It's got a weird, like rounded, savory kind of thing going on. I don't think what? earthworm is in this one. Weird, rounded, savory thing. Yeah. was black pepper. There were like. There's not supposed to be a black pepper in this batch. No, there were like five or six left over from the old one. Oh. That's why I was hoping the black pepper would throw you off. Well, I think this one's also from the old batch because this is feeling a lot like earthworm to me. Is that a possibility? It's a possibility. I'm gonna. I'm. I'm sticking with earthworm. I'm not getting the sense it's right, but. It's booger. It's booger. (laughs) All right. Apparently, worms and snot taste the same. I feel like that should be like super salty. That's weird. I'm I'm not picking up much of anything. Either booger or pear. Booger or pear. It's not pear. I'll just say that much. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, you got double asterisks, three out of four. Oh, that sucks. Okay. Let's get this sucker over with. One more. One more. Come on, come on. Oh man. Okay. Oh, this bites. All right, i I'm not gonna say anything because then you'll, you'll pick a terrible one. Thank you all so much for listening this week. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed the stream. I certainly have. I, like I said, I thought this was one of the best streams we've had for a while. Um, I really enjoyed this one. Mm-hmm. Um I'm so happy that i I made the decision to jump over to mixer that I'm doing that and I'm really happy that y'all have been willing to follow me here through discord uh, during my we'll, we'll call I called it the great intermission um, although I try to keep things with sort of a sidecar theme to it, it the great intermission? I have not with you Ron um, in secret behind you I call it the great intermission behind your back. And but I feel like I should call it the great pit stop. In sticking with the the sort of sidecar theme, okay. Here we go. don't tuna. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> tuna has graced us with the with the phrase umami boogers because tuna is an evil man. Okay, there's sort of a weird biscuity sweetness to it. I smell it. I'm having a hard time deciding if it's... When I can't tell if it's supposed to be a good one or a bad one, that typically means it's a good one that has been sitting in a jar with too many bad ones for a while. Hmm. I don't... Oh, boy. Hold on. I have to go to my mind palace. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> I'm Sherlock Holmes. Gotta go to my, my mind palace. I'm Sherlock I'm sure legumes, Mm -hmm. sure legumes, Holmes. That was a bad, bad joke. Let's see. Hmm. Oh. It's like a toasted kind of. A tiny little bit of like caramelized sugar or something or other. Tuna says you need an oof emoji for when your jokes don't land. I'm pretty sure that's just the the RIP sticker. Is it not Tuna? Pretty sure that's what that is. I need like a oof. <laughs> oof. oof. I really like the gif of uh yep, there it is. I really like the gif of um Sully from <laughs> from uh oh, dang it, Monster's inc I like that oof gif. Which there's a bit of an internet deep cut, Sir Legumes and Doctor Fabison, Doctor Fabison. <laughs> well done, as usual, Coop. Wow, I have no idea what that one is. I gotta go with like I'm gonna go with like ice cream cone, not ice cream. It just tastes like an ice cream cone, and that's what I'm gonna go with, even though I know it's wrong. I feel like you should have gotten. I'm that gonna stand one, by it because it's a very distinct flavor and it is the flavor of buttered popcorn. What? I could smell it on your breath. It did not taste like buttered popcorn. I'm going to assume it was as a result of being sort of loaded in after a like a chocolate pudding kind of thing, even though that was a little bit earlier, but it did not taste like like buttered popcorn. BS. All right, McQuay Come on. <laughs> All right, folks. Thank you so much for watching we're gonna we're gonna end it up now if you are watching this as the youtube premiere that means that this is the there it is (laughs) rachel found it immediately in the discord well done rachel um yeah that's the one absolutely uh there are very there are very few memes that i will genuinely laugh at that one and quispy is one of them but uh (laughs) she's shaking her head um Thank you so much for watching. If you are watching this on YouTube, you're watching the premiere, that means I'm going live on Mixer and Discord right now. If you're watching this on Mixer or Discord, thank you so very much. I hope you have a great week. (laughs) Perfect, well done, Tuna. Tuna has done something very good here and figured out how to post the GIF itself right in the chat. So, well done. Um, I hope y'all have a great week. I will see you next time. Adios. Bye-bye.